Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. The Bible is our authority and every message delivered proclaims the truth in a way that is relevant and practical for daily life. At Vail Christian, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Good morning. Take your Bible out and turn to the Gospel of John chapter 5, and we're going to look again at this dramatic story, this story that's just jam-packed with unbelievable things. I think it is very significant in the life of Jesus. I mean, all of his stories have huge impact, right? But this story in particular addresses some issues that really are important, so much so, this is what I think. I think it's very clear from this text. We looked at it last week, all right? It's really clear from this text who Jesus claims to be, all right? Now, um, before we even get through it, listen to this, though. I think it's very clear who the Jewish leaders, the Jewish authorities believe Jesus claims to be, okay? That's very clear. And the two... I'm going to say the two most important questions you will ever answer are these two questions. I I don't know. I want to be careful of that. I mean, there's lots of really important questions, but I think these are really important at least, really important questions that you need to answer. Here it is. Here's the red dot in the middle of the target. All right. This is what this story really requires of you. All right. Number one, number one, here it is, is Jesus right about who he claims to be? Is he right about who he claims to be? You have to answer that question if you're going to grapple with this story. Is he right about who he claims to be? And I think that's a really, really important question. The next question is, if he's right, what have you done about it? If he's right, what have you done about it? If you can answer those two questions, or you should answer those two questions because they're really important... And this passage, I think, helps you do that. That's what John's goal is by featuring this story, okay? So there's more important, uh, there's no more important questions, I think, than these kinds of questions in life. And um, which is why John writes this whole gospel that people would believe. And this is why he testifies about Jesus, right here. So let's read the story again. We're going to go through 23 verses, and I'm going to unpack different things than I did last week. We're going to review a little bit, but there's more. There's more jammed in here, okay? So John chapter 5, starting in verse 1, it says, After this, there was a Jewish feast, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Okay, so we know he's been in Galilee. He healed this little boy. Before that, he was interacting with the woman at the well in Samaria, all right? So he's, he's walking a lot, all right? Before that, it, you know, we started, John starts with this story of Nicodemus and that whole thing. All right, so there's been a bunch of stuff happen here. Now he's back in Jerusalem at the Jewish feast, all right? Here we go, verse 2. Now, there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool called Bethzetha, or some of your versions might say Bethesda, in Aramaic, which has five covered walkways. A great number of sick, blind, lame, and paralyzed people were lying in these walkways. Now, a man uh, was there who had been disabled for 38 years. 
when Jesus saw him lying there. And when he realized that the man had been disabled a long time already, he said to him, do you want to become well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. While I'm trying to get into the water, someone else goes down there before me. As we found out last time, right, it's whoever gets in there first kind of thing, right? That's the legend. It's just a legend, but anyway, verse 8, Jesus said to him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Immediately the man was healed, and he picked up his mat, and he started walking. And then John gives us the commentary again. Now that day was a Sabbath. Verse 10, so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it's a Sabbath, and you're not permitted to carry your mat he answered them, well, the, the, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. And they asked him, well, who's this man who said to you, pick up your mat and walk? But the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped out since there was a crowd in that place. Verse 14, after this, Jesus found him at the temple and he said to him, look, you've, you've been healed. You've, been, you've become well. Don't sin anymore, lest anything worse happen to you. And then the man went away and informed uh, the Jewish leaders that Jesus was the one who had made him well. Now, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began persecuting him. So he told them, my father is working until now, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jewish leaders were trying even harder to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling God his own father, thus making himself equal with God. Verse 19. So Jesus answered them, I tell you the solemn truth. The son can do nothing on his own initiative, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he does. And will show him greater deeds than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whomever he wishes. Furthermore, the Father does not judge anyone, but has assigned all judgment to the Son, so that all people will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. The one who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Now, there's a lot there, isn't there? And it's true. Jesus does make some really significant claims. All right. So what I want to get at, there's three kind of main things. All right. And we've gone through um, at least one of them. We saw last time uh, when we looked at this story, the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda, all right? And Jesus' statement that the point of that whole thing, the healing, was not to gratify sign seekers, miracle seekers, right? But to deal with actually sin. That's the whole point of that. Healing to defeat sin. Okay, so in verses 8 and 9, look at verses 8 and 9. Jesus said to him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Immediately the man was healed. He picked up his mat and started walking. So then Jesus gets away really quick. 
He's doing this on purpose to avoid the focus on the miracle stuff, right? That the man doesn't even know. He, 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 Jesus gets, a, gets away so fast, the guy doesn't even know who healed him. So when the Jewish leaders, the, the authorities, you know, they question him about carrying his mat on the Sabbath, verse 13, he's, uh, the man who had been healed didn't know who it was, so Jesus slipped out since there was a crowd in that place. Right, you can imagine you, you do this healing and then, oh, it's going to be all about that and everybody's going to glob on really quickly. So it's kind of easy to wonder, is this a random miracle that Jesus did and then escape without anyone even knowing who he was or why, uh, you know, why he did it? So the answer comes in verse 14. Look at verse 14. Jesus found him at the temple. He said to him, look, you've become well. Don't sin anymore lest anything worse happen to you. Because it's pretty bad 38 years sitting by this pool. But something worse could happen. Something worse could happen than that. But something worse than that. That's what he means like that. Not, if you don't listen to me, you know. All right, so, so watch this, verse 14. After this, Jesus found him at the temple. Look, you become well. Don't sin anymore. Let's anything worse happen. So in other words, I've come to find you to tell you the point of what I did to you. The point of the healing me. I healed your body with the purpose that it would lead to the healing of your soul. That's why I did it. I'm really concerned with your sin. I healed you for the sake of your devotion to God. That's why I healed you. So let's look at the next thing because the miracles of Jesus have purpose. They all have purpose. None of the physical miracles of Jesus were done without purpose, by the way. None of them. They all point to something more about Jesus and about the kingdom of God and about the spiritual and moral transformations um, that he's working to bring about. So when he fed the 5,000 from a few loaves of bread and fish, you remember when he did that? That's a great story. There's a purpose there. The point was that he himself is the true bread from heaven. John 6, 26. Look what happens just, just in one verse. I tell you the solemn truth. You're, you're, you're looking for me. Not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate all the loaves of bread you wanted. This was like free buffet. That's why you guys are looking for me. Because we could use some more of that. You missed the spiritual character of the miracle. You only saw the physical shell of the miracle, you people. So he's saying to the healed guy, the healed man... In John 5 now, don't miss what your healing was a sign of. Your healing was about your devotion to God. That's what I'm concerned about. I've come for that, okay? I've come for that. So look to me and turn from your sin. That's, that's what Jesus is about. We, we want Jesus to do lots of stuff in our lives, don't we? 
especially when we got significant problems. We want them to straighten those things out just like that, don't we? I mean, me too. We want when there's something physical in particular in our life or in the lives of our loved ones, we want him to to heal it. Sometimes he can. I mean, sometimes he will, excuse me. But it's, it's not actually his habit. A lot of times that brings us to our knees to depend on God, to seek God. So we've got to be careful here. This, this kind of brings balance to that kind of thinking a little bit, right? doesn't mean that he's not compassionate. We found that out last week. He's full of compassion, full of love and mercy. He is. I, sh- I showed you just in the New Testament alone, in the Gospels alone, I mean, I found at least a dozen times where Jesus declares, or the, the, the gospel author records, Jesus felt compassion for people. I mean, so he, he does care, and he knows what's going on in your life. That's not, that's not the way he is. But there's a, a, a different purpose to these miracles, by and large, right? Okay, we're going to come back to that, but the other things that have to do with the way the... Uh, the other things that are going on here have to do with the way the Father and the Son are in relationship. God the Father and God the Son and the way they're in relationship or the way that they're connected and the fact that this miracle of healing was done on the Sabbath. Those are all left, right? We want to get to those, right? So let's take one at a time and see how they're linked to each other and how they connect to the healing and its purpose and the man's devotion to God because you should be able to see yourself in, in this man and your devotion to God, and your sin, all right? My sin, right? So let's start with Jesus' relationship to the Father. A dominant theme in this passage showcases, actually, maybe better than any other passage, Jesus' relationship with God the Father right here. Verse 16 says the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he had healed this man on the Sabbath. Let's take a look, right? He's doing these things on the Sabbath. They're persecuting him. So Jesus responds with an explanation in verse 17. So he told them, my father's working until now, and I too am working. So set aside the question of the Sabbath just for a second, just for a moment, and just focus on the relationship of Jesus to God the Father. Just think about that for a minute. Just the Sabbath thing, we'll get to it. This is what the Jews did, and it elevated their persecution to plan to kill him. Here's what they heard Jesus say about his relationship with God the Father. Verse 18, look at verse 18. For this reason, the Jewish leaders were trying even harder to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling God his own Father, thus, I love that word, making himself equal with God. Now, my next point is Jesus makes oatmeal, I know. Hang with me, all right? Because this is what I ate on Saturday. Steel cut oats. You know this? These are quick cook. You can buy the long cook or the slow cook. And believe me, it is a lot longer. But this is quick cook, all right? Have you ever, anybody like oatmeal? I love oatmeal. But I fix breakfast on Saturday, every Saturday for Linda. And when I do oatmeal, she's like, oh... 
Not everybody likes oatmeal, right? So surprisingly, she wants bacon and eggs and all the big stuff, right? Sometimes you just want a good bowl of oatmeal. Now, there's a process to doing this right. Here it is. I don't know if you read the directions or not, but if you pay attention, the people who make the oatmeal, they know what they're doing. Well, look at this. Watch this. Okay, here's the stovetop directions, all right? Bring water or milk and salt, salt is key, pay attention, to a boil. Stir in the oats. Okay, then you reduce the heat to low so it just simmers. It's got to simmer, uncovered, really key words here, for five to seven minutes. Use the timer, I'm telling you, it will help. Then number three, remove it from the heat and then let stand. Really key word before serving, let stand. Now, if you like to grill steaks, there's a principle here with steaks too. I'm telling you, most people don't know what they're doing because I've eaten at a lot of people's houses when it comes to steak. (laughs) And people bypass this step. When you take the meat off the grill, you need to let it stand or rest. Yeah, just let it stand. I mean, stand, rest, same thing, right? Because you just cut into it because you're so hungry because I grilled it so awesome. And then all the juice just runs out and then, you know, it's just a, I don't know, it ruins it. Let it stand. You can cover it up for a minute, right? Oatmeal, same way. Same exact way. Jesus, same thing. He brings everything to a boil. He does. He brings it to a boil. And then there's a simmering point where it just kind of like this. And then he just lets it rest right there for a minute. Getting it just right with these guys. Watch what happens. What? I told you I could do it. Does he, you know, don't, don't go around telling people, I said Jesus made oatmeal. You know what I mean now, right? What is crucial to see here is not why these guys would draw this conclusion here, all right, uh, 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 about him, you know, being equal with God, but, but, but that Jesus is very calculated. The oatmeal instructions are a big deal. There's only three of them, and you've got to pay attention to the words, right? They were there. We weren't. They could see and they could hear the way that Jesus spoke about God as his father. And evidently, there's enough indications and there's enough information that they have in what he said and, and, and the way he said it that they thought, man, this is over the top, this guy. That's why he lets it sit there. This is, I mean, these guys are, they, they come to a boil and then he lets it sit there and then he lets them think about it for a second and man. This man is really treating himself equal with God in the way that he talks about God. Jesus lets it rest right there and begins to unpack its implications. He says, the son, number, you know, number one, the son doesn't or, or can't go his own way, but stays in perfect step with the father. That's what he says, right? He says, The father doesn't just go his own way, but acts in perfect step with the son. Then he gives implications of this. (laughs) This is great. 
Jesus only does what the Father does. The Son only does what the Father does. They, they act in perfect synchronization. I mean, that's big. Look at verse 19 and 20. So Jesus answers them, I tell you the solemn truth. Now, now watch. When Jesus says, I tell you the solemn truth, some of your versions might say, truly, truly. Only Mary Poppins talks like that. Or maybe, what is that? Chitty, chitty, bang, bang. All right, well, um, I don't know. I'm trying to get you to not sleep, okay? <laughs> I tell you the solemn truth, like grabbing your child by the cheeks and saying, Look me in the eye. This is really important. Don't turn your head. Focus your eyes on my eyes. That's what he's doing. That's that when he says that, I'm telling you the truth. This is important. Listen, pay attention. Here it comes. The son could do nothing on his own initiative, but only what he sees the father doing. And then right here, here's the red dot in the middle of the target. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he does and will show him greater deeds than these so that you'll be amazed. So the most important statement in all these verses is in red, in the second half of the verse, verse 19, for whatever the father does, the son does likewise. This is different from saying Jesus chooses some things to do that, that he sees the father doing and so he does what the father is doing. It says, whatever the Father does, Jesus does. When the Father acts, Jesus acts. So this is what the Jews heard him say. And they were right. You talk like you're equal with God, man. I mean, hold on here. You talk as if for him to act is for you to act, and there's some kind of essential connection, some kind of union between you. Yeah. That's why he just lets it sit right there. And the oatmeal gets really tasty. Otherwise, it's just soupy. It's not really. Let's it stand. Sucks up all the moisture. Getting it all ready. And then he starts putting it in the bowl. Look at this. The father acts in step with Jesus. Look at verse 22. It seems to go in another direction. That the father acts in step with the son. Furthermore, here it is. The father does not judge anyone, but has assigned all judgment to the son. Oh, man. Here we go. Now, when you read this, you can't throw away everything you just read in verse 19 as though it just, just stopped being true. Like, remember verse 19. The son can do nothing on his own initiative, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. So if you're, if you're not careful, you're like, well, okay, then Jesus does the judging. God doesn't do that. That's not what just happened, right? Put it together. Verse 22, the father does not judge anyone, but is assigned all judgment to the son. Hold on. It can't mean the son doesn't see the father judging, but goes ahead and judges anyway. I mean, John 3, 36 clearly says that if you don't believe in Jesus, the wrath of God remains on you. That is, God does judge. So verse 22, this is what verse 22 means. The father judges no one on his own. The father doesn't go off on his own without any reference to the son and judge the world. He judges no one, nobody like that. 
Another thing verse 22 seems to, to, to mean here is that the son, not the father, is the historical benchmark decider for who comes into judgment. That's the point of verse 23. Look at verse 23. So that all people will honor the son just as they honor the father. The one who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. In other words, here it comes, right? If God is dishonored and it requires judgment, it is determined by the historical person of Jesus. If people honor him for who he really is, then God the Father is honored for who he really is. So all judgment is given to the Son. So what people decide about Jesus decides their final judgment. But that's because what they decided about him is what they decided actually about God, who is Jesus. God. You see, look at this. So the part of verse 22, the father does not judge anyone but has assigned all judgment to the son, means the father is not the historical benchmark decider of judgment, but he is in perfect step with the son's judgment because the one who does not honor the son, does not honor the father. They're in perfect step. Now, there are byproducts and there are reverberations, ramifications, or repercussions, implications. You could say all these things, right? And here they are. They're, They're for us from the fact that the son stays in perfect step with the father and the father acts in perfect step with the son One of them we just saw, but our day is full of pluralism, religions with worldviews and cultures and lifestyles competing for your allegiances, is it not? I think verse 23 lands a big bombshell on that. Just whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. It's about Jesus, isn't it? It's about Jesus. In other words, if you want to know if someone in another religion or or if they're not in any kind of religion, honors God, has a true worshipful relationship with God, the, the, the test that you use to know this, do they honor Jesus for who he really is? God? As the divine son of God, Messiah, the crucified and risen savior of the world, the Lord of the universe and judge of all human beings, do they honor Jesus like that? If they don't, they don't honor God. That's the first ramification, reverberation, byproduct of what's just been laid out. Here's the second one. It's in verse 24. If you tell, I tell you the solemn truth, remember? Listen, pay attention, look me in the eye. The one who hears my message and believes the one who sent me has eternal life. Eternal life, life after, life forever, and will not be condemned, but has crossed over from death to life. That verse is enormous. If you hear the message of Jesus in the Gospel of John, and you take it in its all-encompassing t- 
totality. Not just some distorted part of it. And if through that message and that person, we come to trust God as the one who sent that person, Jesus, for our salvation, two unbelievable things happen. Number one, you're, or A, I guess I said A, right? You're not, not only will you have eternal life, but you already have it. <laughs> you, you crossed over, right? And, and B, not only will you, you not come under the judgment of condemnation, but have already crossed over through judgment to life. See, Jesus has become that judgment for us. When we're united to him by faith, his death becomes our death. And his crucifixion, our crucifixion. And his curse on the cross, our curse on the cross. And his resurrection, our resurrection. We've already crossed over from death to life. This is unbelievable good news. This is the gospel, which means good news, the best news. Beyond any other news, we, we, we must know this about ourselves as believers. We should be radically courageous because of this news. Oh, man. So the first issue in this text is the man's healing and its purpose to lead the man to devotion to God. That's why Jesus did it. He was concerned about his eternal health, right? And then the next issue in the text is the way the father and the son are equal so that when one is acting, the other is acting. With the two ramifications or reverberations, I, I like to use those descriptive words, right? Here's the rumbling about that. Right, the result of that. If we don't honor the Son, we don't honor the Father. And if we believe in the Father through the word of Jesus, we've already crossed over from death to life and are on the other side of condemnation. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. You gotta be in Christ Jesus and there is no condemnation. Oh, that is unbelievable news. Now, okay, let's get to the Sabbath. What about the Sabbath? All right, it's the one last thing. And what we've seen about Jesus, Jesus is connecting to the Father. We have the foundation, I think, to make sense of this now. And answer their criticisms, right? Remember that verse 16 says, what is verse 16? Now, because Jesus was doing things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began persecuting him. Now, what, what is Jesus' explanation? He had given an explanation to the healed guy, right, for why he was healed, because this is about your devotion to God, right? And want to get to your sin and your eternal health. All right? Now he's got an explanation for these Jewish leaders who are criticizing the fact that this happened on the Sabbath. Verse 17, my father is working until now, and I too am working. What? What is he saying? I think it goes something like this. Let me just sort of like lay it out here. I'll just talk in modern language the way I think 
I, I got to be careful. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk like Jesus. <laughs> okay. Here's what he's saying. My father and, and me, we created a perfect world, a paradise, and then we rested. Not because we get tired from doing that stuff. We don't get tired. All right? We stepped back to enjoy the perfect display of our own glory revealed in our creative handiwork. I mean, we unloaded with creativity. That's what Sabbath is for, restful, focused enjoyment of God. That's what the Sabbath is for. But then sin came into the world, right? And through sin came sickness and death and destruction. You know, the 38-year, that guy sat by the pool, all of that. Death. And so from that time, my father and I have been working again. We've been working in all kinds of ways that obviously you don't understand. We've been working to restore a Sabbath paradise to the universe. We've been working to overcome sin and sickness and death. Even your own law, you guys are so expert in that stuff, right? It contains the Sabbath command, you know? That was part of our working to conquer sin and to hold back the misery of unrighteousness and point you forward to Messiah, a Savior who would come and perform the act of restoration and transformation toward the new heaven and the new earth. All of that was for that. So when I heal a guy and intentionally do it on the Sabbath, you guys, I'm showing you something about myself. What was happening at the pool of Bethesda was that my father and I were revealing the world that's coming. Right? It's a world where there's not going to be any sickness and a world without sin, without death. So whether you see it or not, here's my response to your accusations about Sabbath breaking. The Father and I were one. We created the world and the Sabbath. Since sin and sickness entered the world, my Father has been working, and I've been working to restore Sabbath, to restore wholeness and rest to the world. That's what I'm doing here right now. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to deliver victory at the cross now. That's what's coming a few months from this story, right? And then he's going to come back to complete the work. And when he does, in his kingdom, there's going to be no sickness, no sin, no death. So you should be happy about this guy running around carrying his mat. That's why they want to kill him. They missed the whole thing. Can I go back to the most important questions that you can ask? 
is Jesus right about who he claims to be? If he's right, what have you done about it? I mean, those are the best questions you could ask after that story, right? What have you done about it? I'm going to let it stand right there. <laughs> Father in heaven, thank you. This is an unbelievable story. It's dramatic. It teaches me so many things. The implications are huge. I'm praying that everybody in this room would wrestle with a question. Is Jesus right about who he claims to be? I'm praying, Lord God, everybody wrestles with this question in a new way. If he's right, what have we done about it? What are we doing about it? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope I get to see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information, or would like to view the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com and follow us on social media.